Hey, my name is Brayden, one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. I am going to jump right in and assume that you've been tracking along, whether in person or on the podcast, with a series of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 16. I do get the opportunity and the privilege to pastor, as he said, a wonderful church on the west side of Cleveland called King's Church, which they send their love and their hello to you this morning. And I just think it's always such a wonderful, beautiful thing that on Sunday mornings, literally across the world, there are millions, hundreds of millions of people that are gathering in church buildings, event centers, houses, all over the place, doing the same exact thing that you're doing. People, you will never meet, that you'll never have a conversation with, but you share, I share this faith, this, this sacred faith that unites us and brings us to places like this, to spend 90 minutes on a Sunday, opening up the word together, worshiping together, praying together, growing in community together. So it's always an honor and a privilege wherever I'm at on a Sunday to be um, with the people of God. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, Paul is writing this letter to Christians like you and me in the place called Galatia, as you've been learning. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Would you stand for the reading of God's word with me before you settle in for the rest of the morning? Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16, Paul says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So these two forces, they're constantly fighting each other. And so you're not free to carry out the good intentions that you have. Paul actually writes another letter in Romans. In Romans chapter 7, he paints this issue, this dichotomy, the paradox of I want to do what's right, but I don't. And I, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I end up doing it. And so he's revealing this reality of kind of this dual nature that lives in us. I want to choose good, but there's evil that sometimes seems to be present. These two forces that are fighting each other. Verse 18, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses, trying to fulfill all these religious duties. You're led by the Spirit. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are pretty clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And if you got through the list and thought, that's not me, I'm not any of those things. He kind of throws in a couple of words that are like the junk drawer line where he says, and other sins like these. So he's just like, nobody's exempt from this, all right? All of us are here. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and they've crucified him there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Verse 25 again, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. What I'd love to do is just talk to you from this subject this morning, life with the Spirit. Life with 
the Spirit. Paul, if you read his letters throughout the New Testament, has a lot of great things that he teaches, different doctrines, theologies, gives us insight on the character of God and how we're to live. But there's this central theme that carries through everything, this drum, this one drum that he beats over and over and over again, and it's the importance of the Holy Spirit the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says being sealed by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being gifted and graced by the Holy Spirit. Paul repeats this over and over and over again. And in Galatians, he brings this kind of foundational principle to all of our lives under an assumption that if you're a Christian, you are to live, I am to live by the Spirit. Well, what does it mean though to actually have life with the Spirit? I hope in a couple of moments that we have together today, we can give some insight into that. But let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, again, we're here. And so Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you be our teacher, our leader, our guide? Teach us, lead us, and guide us into the truth of your word. Would you allow today and to be uniquely personal to everybody that's here? Father, you know exactly what people need to hear. You know what they're going through. You know what they're dealing with. And so, Lord, we just pray that our minds would be open, our hearts would be receptive to what it is that you speak to us today. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be, you can be seated. Life with the Spirit. Uh, in the beginning of 2021, I tried my best to get rid of this thing. I uh, am a big New Year's resolutions guy. I love listing out goals. I know I'm not going to accomplish 90% of them, but it's kind of this fake sense of hope that I have in the beginning of the year to think I'm going to do all of these things. But one of the things that was on the top of my list that I did begin to do was I'm going to leave the smartphone world and I want to downgrade my tech life and I want to go for a flip phone. I'm going straight flip phone. I don't want any access to the internet. I don't want any social media. I, I just want to go almost as analog as I possibly can. And so I had to go to a couple of different phone stores because this might surprise you that a flip phone is not as easy to get a hold of as you might have thought. I can remember walking into some of the AT&T stores and saying, hey, can I get a flip phone? And they're like, dude, where have you been the past decade? Like, we don't even make those anymore. Uh, they did have a couple versions of the flip phone, but really they're just a, like a foldable smartphone. Screen, internet, access to all the apps. I, I wanted something really low-key, really basic. I actually ended up having to jump on Amazon and ordering it off of there. And I, I began my 2021 adventure of life on a flip phone. But I quickly ran into two major challenges with the flip phone life. The first being group text messages. When I would get a group text message sent to me and I responded, I was the guy that all of a sudden showed up green. We all know the dreaded green text. And not only did I show up green, but I broke the group text message up into a bunch of individual text messages. And so if somebody were to include me in the group text and I responded on everybody else's device, it came through as individual messages as green. And it kind of caused a firestorm. People are like, what idiot is messing up our group text? To which my response would be, hey, you deserve it. Why are you trying to text me whenever you feel like you can text me interrupting my day? Deal with how I'm going to text you back. But group texting, it became a challenge. But the bigger issue that I had with kind of the flip phone, and I know they've changed these even in the past two years since, is I didn't have um, the directional app. I didn't have maps. And I didn't realize how much in my life I rely on maps. I was thinking about it because at that time in my life, I would leave the house, I'd jump in my car to go somewhere, and I'd think, I, I actually don't know how to get there. 
I'm not even sure how to arrive at my destination. And I had flashbacks to moments growing up with my parents as they would talk about directions with one another or their friends. And it seemed like my parents knew every city or every street in our city. And they would go through like 42 different turns, like verbatim, no problem. Go to West 150th, then you're going to turn right on center. Then you're going to hang on there for a mile and a half. Then you're going to turn left on Burlock. You're going to go around this corner. You're going to take two left turns into a cul-de-sac, but there's a secret ditch that you can go down get up and cut across. They knew directions like from top to bottom. I mean, they were just so aware of it. And I realized that when I didn't have my flip phone, not only one, did I not know how to get there, but I also felt this great level of kind of insecurity of like, what happened to me? My parents knew how to get so many different places. And here I am completely directionally challenged. So much so that if you were to ask, hey, what, are, what street is the office that you work off of on? I've been there for almost five years. I actually was thinking this morning, I couldn't even tell you the name of the cross street. It's center and something else. And I've been there for years. And I just rely so much on, like some of you do, the maps on my phone on telling me where to get to, how to get to that destination. And this is where we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul uses the language, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. You and I are to utilize, uh, if I could say it that way, give me some nuance in the way that we talk about this for a moment, utilize the person of the Holy Spirit as a way on how we are and where we are to live our lives. This is kind of Paul's answer to everything he just talked about in Galatians chapter five when it comes to the challenges of sin in our life and all these things that we wanna get rid of, but we can't. He says the, the, the antidote, as one New Testament theologian says, the antidote to living to the flesh is the being, being led by the spirit. Really the antidote to being uh, patient isn't having patience, it's be led by the spirit. The antidote to to not being angry anymore is stop being angry. It's learning to be led and live life with the Spirit. To learning how to be a kind person or to be nice isn't just you realizing, I guess I should just be nice. No, it's learning to be led by the Spirit. We don't have time to get into it, but the outworking of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what he then goes on and says, the fruit of the Spirit. But at first is a life that is led and lived with the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul in this moment is entering into the third section of his letter to the Galatians. And he's going to emphasize the reality that God really calls us to live a holy life, to have a biblical worldview, to have these ethics and these values and that we're supposed to carry out as followers of Jesus, but not just leave us there. He's going to go on and say, but God not only expects that and desires that, requires it in some sense, he also empowers you and me to actually live that way by the Holy Spirit. And that phrase walking in the Spirit is actually written in a continual sense. So it's not just something that we do occasionally, like every once in a while I walk with the Holy Spirit. But Paul's assumption and his encouragement to Christians like you and me is that our life from morning to night, day in and day out, is a continued journey with the Holy Spirit. It really is life inundated and saturated with this person, the Holy Spirit. And Paul actually believes this. He believes that the Spirit is enough to enable somebody to not live under the religious obligations that he's coming against and to also not give in to the fleshly desires. He says there's a third way. 
There's a third way to live above and beyond all of it. I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, the answer to a thousand and one questions is be led by the Holy Spirit. And so there's this element where Paul emphasizes in Galatians that for you and I to live and experience the life that God has for us, an experiential life, as Pastor Jordan just talked about, really encountering God, it cannot happen outside of a vibrant, meaningful relationship with this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Dr. Jack Hayford said this, the design of the Holy Spirit is to constrain us toward a life in which the tendencies of the flesh are both undesirable and un." productive. So in the context of Galatians chapter five that we just read, where he's like, hey, don't do all that stuff. Don't act that way. Don't think that way. Don't behave that way. Live by the spirit. What Dr. Hayford says is the role of the Holy Spirit is to come in and to begin to mess with the tendencies of our heart. The, the, the things that are unproductive, the things that cause us to give in and to repeat the behaviors that we know we don't want to repeat, but we just find ourselves doing it over and over and over again. And that's important to note because the Holy Spirit changes our desiring, not our doing. The Holy Spirit does an internal work with us. His role is to change our desiring, not our doing. James Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, says that Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. And this is, this is really powerful because I've found in my life experientially and I've pastored now and been in ministry for 17 years in conversations that I have with young people, with old people, with families, with people that have known Jesus for a long time and those that are just kind of getting into this thing. There's this misunderstanding that a lot of us, that I myself have had at times is the assumption that I can be saved and free. Or I should say it this way, I almost assume that because I'm saved, I'm automatically free. But you don't have to live a lot of life to realize that I can be saved, but still not experience the freedom that it seems that Jesus offers. I can have, a, I can have an earnest faith in God. I can, I can believe scripture. I can say I'm a Christian, but I can still struggle with unforgiveness. I can still deal with anger. I can deal with deep insecurity. I can deal with lust. I can deal with the long litany of things in Galatians chapter five. But how can I do that? How can I really say, no, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still here. It's because the reality is we can be saved, but not free. We can be even moved. We do this really great in church. We can be moved emotionally, which I think is really important. And I think there is a place to be touched by our emotions and engaged with our emotions. I think God designed us that way. But there's a misnomer to think because I've been touched emotionally, I'm being changed internally. And so worship could be really good on a Sunday morning and we're crying and all of a sudden, the preacher gets up, tells a funny story about a flip phone. We laugh a little bit. Maybe there's a line or two, a good quote that they say, and like, that's awesome. And we leave emotionally engaged to some capacity. I laughed, I cried, whatever. But Monday morning comes around, and in the drop-off line, nothing's really changed internally in my life. Tuesday on the job site, I'm still dealing with this. Thursday, when I get home, I still got these relational issues. Friday, I'm still navigating the pressures of money. What's really going on? What is my, where's my faith showing up in that? Where's Jesus in the midst of all of that? I thought that because that happened on Sunday when I cried, all of a sudden everything was gonna change in my life. But we can be touched emotionally and just simply not changed internally. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to get down into the stuff. 
like the deep, deep stuff. The stuff that we don't want anybody else to know about. The stuff that we don't talk to anybody else about. But the stuff that we're always aware of in our life. One of the things maybe that's restricting us from experiencing the life that, ha- that God has for us. So, so if I could do it this way, let, let's take the remaining time that we have together. And, and I want to walk through three ideas on how we actually live life with the Spirit, where it's not just this good kind of ethereal, I just say, hey, go on and live life with the Spirit, be blessed. And you're like, yeah, thank you. And then you walk out of here you're like, dude, how the heck do I even do that? What does that mean? What does it mean, Paul, to live life with the Spirit? Well, let me give us three simple steps that I hope are pragmatic enough that you can grab a hold of and and begin to apply. Number one is this. Life with the Spirit constitutes, in this starting point, one is having an awareness of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to work from a little bit of an assumption that the majority of people, not all, but the majority of you here this morning have some framework for faith, the Christian faith, that you believe in Jesus, you believe in God, and although your journey with the Holy Spirit might be varying, you have an awareness of the Holy Spirit. And that's important to start because we have to first begin with that, that there is a person, a Holy Spirit. We're really good We're talking about God the Father. We're really good at talking about Jesus the Son. And then we get to the holy who? And so we we kind of personalize God as Father. We personalize Jesus as Savior, Messiah, Lord, King, even even brother in in one regards in the family of God. But when it gets to the Holy Spirit, we kind of think, is that like some like misty cloud that just kind of hangs out there? What's the role of the Holy Spirit? Jesus has such an emphasis on the Holy Spirit that in the Gospel of John in chapter 14 and then in chapter 16, he has the audacity to look at his disciples and say, I just want you to know it's better for you that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come with you. It's better for for me to go so that the advocate is what he calls the Holy Spirit can come and reside in you, walk with you and be with you. It's better that I'm not personally with you so the Holy Spirit can come. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if I was one of those disciples, I'd be like, I think you're wrong. I mean, we've, been, we've had a pretty good track record the past three years, Jesus. Like, we got some stuff going. Crowds are coming. You're doing kind of your Jesus thing, healing people, walking on water, making some religious people really angry, which is pretty fun to watch. We've even been empowered to do some stuff. We've, we, got a, we got a good thing going. Don't mess this up. Don't go anywhere. What do you mean you got to leave and this Holy Spirit is going to come? But he emphasizes the importance of, no, 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 you don't understand. It's for your advantage. It's better for you, for me to go, so that he comes. So I have to then ask myself this, and maybe you could ask yourself this this morning. Do I have the same emphasis and value on the Holy Spirit with me that Jesus did? Do I actually live my life with the same emphasis, the same urgency that Jesus said about me having a relationship and the Holy Spirit being with me? Do I live in that reality? So I go from an awareness of that, that the Holy Spirit is a person and he's here to walk with me. And then that moves me into the next step, which is number two, giving acknowledgement to the Holy Spirit. I have to be aware And then I live in a life of acknowledgement. And this is one of the areas, this is one of the steps, if I could say it that way, where a lot of followers of Jesus and Christians get it wrong. This is where we stop. This is where we miss it. We're aware of, but we don't acknowledge. And this is crucial because present doesn't mean presence. 
You can be present with somebody. You can be present in a place, but the presence of that person or the presence of that environment is not affecting you in the way that it was intended to affect you. And this is where many Christians live our lives. We live our life when it comes to the Holy Spirit that we are aware of, but not engaged with. I'm aware of there being a Holy Spirit. I'm aware we sing some songs and kind of the Holy Spirit's in there. I read kind of my scriptures and it talks about the Holy Spirit. So I'm aware of, but when it comes down to brass tacks, like what does my life inside and out actually look like? If I take inventory of my engagement with the Holy Spirit, what is there? I'm aware of, but I'm not always fully engaged with. So let me maybe just paint a hypothetical picture for you this morning. I've been married going on 18 years and there possibly have been times where I've gotten into the car with my wife and a disagreement has arisen. She's been wrong at times in her life and I've needed to help her out in those areas. I'm kidding. It's it's mostly me. Disagreement arises and all of a sudden we get into an argument, hypothetically, and we don't find a resolve in it. It kind of gets to a precipice, a climax, an apex moment. And then all of a sudden it just stops. We've gotten to the point where we said what we wanted to say. She said this, I said that. We accused each other of this. We pointed fingers. You always do. You never do. Why'd you say you should have said? Why do you eat my fries? Get your own. Like why? Going back. And then all of a sudden we just end it. But then the whole vibe of the car has changed. There's been no apology. There's no, been re- there's no reconciliation, but we're still in the vehicle together. We are present with one another. Actually, our proximity is really close. Like we're, what, 18 inches away from each other? But the experience of that car ride is something else. <laughs> it's not what it was when we first got in. And so just because I'm with my wife, I can be with her aware of her presence, but if I don't choose to acknowledge her in the proper way, my experience with her is going to change. And this is where we find our relationship again with the Holy Spirit, that he is so close, that he is with us, residing in us, but it's our acknowledgement or our lack of acknowledgement with him that then, then, then determines our experience with him, our encounter with him, our, our life with him. Now, for some of us, a quick aside, the idea of the Holy Spirit might be one that we kind of are a little freaked out by because of some experiences that we saw. Maybe it was in the context of a church service where we had a person come up to us and say, the Holy Spirit told me, and they said something wild, like you have to move to the mountains of Tibet and give up everything that you know and live for Jesus there, thus saith God. And you're like, yo, that's so weird. I don't want anything to do with that. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit freaks us out a little bit. I was having lunch with a friend not too long ago that was going through a lot in their life and we got to the point where I was like, where, where's the Holy Spirit at in your life? Like, what, what do you feel like he is leading you to do? What is, in the language of Galatians 5, life with the Spirit in the midst of all of this look like for you? And they said, oh, no. Like, God, I'm good with. Jesus, I'm cool with. But I don't do the Holy Spirit thing. And I'm like, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> it might be the very answer to so many of the issues that you're dealing with. 
But I get it because his experience was certain, quote unquote, manifestations of the Spirit. And so he judged the Holy Spirit based on external actions that he saw, again, within the context of a church or some wild YouTube videos that are out there. And he was saying, I don't want that, but you're talking about that. I'm talking about a hymn. So it's a relational sense not just kind of an external manifestation sense, that you and I are called into relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee, a New Testament theologian, said that for Paul, the Christian life is wholly determined by the presence and activity of the Spirit. For the Christian life, it's completely, wholly determined by the presence and the activity of the Spirit. That's why they go on later in Scripture and say um, that, that the, the Word of God without the Spirit, the law, can be death, but the Spirit brings life. It's the Word and the Spirit working together in our lives. So a really practical way to acknowledge. What do I do with that? Okay, how do I acknowledge the Holy Spirit? Uh, you just simply do this. You say, Hello hello. Let's practice that together on three. Everybody say hello. Ready? One, two, three. Hello. And you're like, Jordan, this is why you brought this guy in here this morning. That's what he's got. 90% of the time, I started a couple years ago, practice in the morning for me that when I wake up, I, one of the first things out of my mouth is a simple acknowledgement where I say this, hello. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what today is. Thank you for the opportunities that it holds. Help me see and seize and steward the right opportunities. Holy Spirit, would you lead me in life today? And you know what? The heavens don't open. A dove doesn't descend through the drywall and perch itself on my shoulder. Gold dust doesn't glitter. Power doesn't shoot out of my hands like I'm some miracle-working Iron Man. But I don't want that. I mean, I, that would be awesome. <laughs> I shouldn't say I don't want that. Hey, I would, I'd take that if you want to do that. But that's not the purpose. My pur the purpose of it is an I want to start my day acknowledging. I'm aware of and I want to acknowledge the practice of the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, we might be getting frustrated at what we would consider a lack of results. And the Spirit is actually stalled by a lack of relationship. I thought God would show up in my life by. I thought I would have an answer to. I thought I'd see him provide. I thought this door would be open or this door would be closed or this result would have happened in my life. And really God is saying there, the Holy Spirit is saying, you're frustrated by a lack of results, but I'm stalled by a lack of relationship. You've never even said good morning to me. You've never said hello. You've never turned in the car to look me in the face and just acknowledge my presence. And so I think if I could maybe just for a moment speak from a large scale to the Capital C Church, it seems as though there's a season that we're entering into where God is calling us back into relationship via the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit that I want to be with you. That's always been God's intent from the Garden of Eden to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve to be with his people, to Jesus showing up on the scene and one of his names being Emmanuel, God with us, to Jesus's own words that we just referenced in John chapter 14 and 16. I'm gonna go so that the Holy Spirit will come and be with you. It's life with the Spirit. And awareness and acknowledgement of the Spirit then leads us to a sensitivity of the Spirit. Now, here's something that's interesting. The Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, New Testament doctrine, will not leave us, but he can be limited by us. And that in and of itself 
is very humbling and a little unbelievable, if I could be honest this morning, to think that me, finite me, little old Noah in Ohio, who's got a couple of decades of living left, you're telling me I can actually limit the spirit of the almighty God in my life? That just seems a little unbelievable. But the same Paul that wrote Galatians then says multiple times to don't quench the spirit of God. Make sure you don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That word grieve, grieve in, the, in the Greek is this word lupete. And it actually can be used to depict the emotions of a betrayed spouse. Feeling deceived, lied to, misled, hurt, wounded, and abused. One scholar actually translates this, the moment in Ephesians 4.30 where he talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit. He translates it in this way. Stop deeply wounding and causing such extreme emotional pain to the Spirit of God by whom you've been sealed until the day of your redemption. That blows my mind that God has granted you and I the ability to either restrict or release the spirit of God in our life. He has given you and I the ability through our acknowledgement of his spirit to experience the fullness or a very limited amount of him. And so we think, well, when God shows up, he's gonna do whatever he wants to do, he's God. It's just not how scripture has worked. God has sovereignly moved. Are there moments where God shows up and does things beyond our belief? Absolutely. But daily living, every daily living life, every decision, every moment at work, every bit of relationship that we have, everything that we do with our money or how we treat other people, God doesn't sovereignly show up and just change all of our actions. He says, hey, will you invite me in? I'll begin to change things internally in you. And so it has to be an open invitation, which then leads us to this idea. Would you and I treat Jesus the same way that we treat the Holy Spirit in our life? Like if Jesus were to show back up gospel-wise, walking and talking with you, would our acknowledgement of Jesus be significantly different than our acknowledgement the way it is right now with the Holy Spirit? And I, I, to be honest with you, as a preacher this morning, I'm like, yeah, Totally. Absolutely. If Jesus was present walking with me, you better believe it. I'd be asking him so many questions. Hey, what was it like when you were walking on water and you freaked out the disciples in the boat? What was that moment like when you healed the guy with the withered hand? T tell me the story about, oh, hey, real quick, what am I supposed to do with this situation at work? Hey, could you give me a little bit of insight? Like, how do I love my wife even better? Hey, I'm a parent. I got three kids. One's a teenager now. Jesus, could you can we grab some coffee real quick and over a quick vanilla latte with oat milk, you just give me some insights on how to disciple my teenage daughter well and not completely eradicate any male that tries to come within her sphere? I would have those conversations with Jesus present incarnationally with me all the time. So if Jesus is like, hey, it's better that the Holy Spirit's with you than me, how come I don't have those conversations with the Holy Spirit? How come I don't acknowledge and give time and give honor and give space for the Holy Spirit. So that leads us into part number three. How do I live life with the Spirit? I have to live an action-oriented life with the Holy Spirit. There has to be action that goes along with it. It starts with an awareness, the Holy Spirit is there. An acknowledgement that now I take it personal and I wanna personalize this relationship and then I wanna step out action-oriented with the Holy Spirit, living my life aware of Him and His leading and His guiding 
and listening to the direction of my life, to the answers that maybe he prompts internally in my heart. Scott McKnight in his book, The King Jesus Gospel, says that the gospel only works its powers not when we simply spectate, but when we actively participate in it. To really begin to see God move in and through our lives. N.T. Wright, in his book, Simply Christian, said, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. And so when heaven and earth meet in my life, it has to move me or should move me to action. And so when I hear through the voice or the promptings of the Holy Spirit, him say, ask your wife for forgiveness, guess what I have to do? I have to choose to be action-oriented. When I sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, be generous, pay for that thing for that person, I have to be action-oriented. When he says, get rid of that behavior, shut that thing down, confess that to that person, I have to be action-oriented. And then when I step out and I am, what am I doing? I'm experiencing the reality of heaven and earth colliding together in my life. So when the Holy Spirit moves in your life, like what does that mean, life with the Spirit? What does it look like? A couple months ago, I jumped into, I'm not a huge Netflix guy, but there was this one series, season one of this, of this show that I watched that I really enjoyed. And I jumped, into, uh, I jumped into season two. And I got about halfway through the first episode and I was like, oh man, I don't, I don't think I should watch this show. There's just some weird stuff in it. It's kind of like the spiritual stuff. And, and honestly, normally that kind of stuff doesn't really, doesn't really bother me. But for some reason, this show that I had watched the full season of and got into this, it was, it was just, it was messing with me. And so I, I shut it off that night and went to bed, woke up the next day. Then I got into bed again, popped in my, my AirPods. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna maybe watch some Netflix. Maybe I'll give it a go again. So I fire up. Episode one, finish episode one, get into episode two, and that same feeling. Don't watch this. Don't do this. Don't give your eyes to that. Don't give your ears to it. Don't spend your time with it. I'm like, ah, it's, I mean, is, is it that big of a deal? Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'll shut it down. I shut it down. Sorry, God, I, I won't do that again. Three or four days pass, pick up my phone, fire up the app. What am I going to watch? I think maybe I'm at a place spiritually more mature than I was three days ago. I can handle this show. You have a reason and barter in your own life of why you can do something that God just told you not to do. That was for that season. You were testing me. I made the test. Now I'm good to go. Green light. Fired up. Watch season or watch episode three. Same sense. Don't watch it. And I knew if I get through this episode and get into episode four, I will have seared my conscience. I will have grieved the Holy Spirit and I will be able to watch the rest of this season unbothered. And so I had this moment where I got into that third episode and I shut it down and I said, God, I repent. I'm not picking this back up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you forgive me. I know I shouldn't have watched it. I've told this story at my church and people come up afterwards like, what show is it? I'm like, I'm not telling you what show it was. Ah, I just, I, I shouldn't watch it. And so I had this moment where, where I honestly, before God, I repented and never picked it back up. But a couple of days went by and I just, I couldn't get rid of this, this sense of like guilt almost of like, uh, it was beyond conviction. It was just kind of like this weight I was carrying in my chest. I could feel it. And I knew that God forgave me. I knew he wasn't holding anything against me, but I, I was just, I was just dealing with it. And so one morning in the shower, I prayed and I said, Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do with this? Why, why does it feel like this sense isn't leaving me? I know that God forgives me. 
You know my heart. I'm not going to go back there. Why can't I get rid of it? What, what am I supposed to do? And so life with the Spirit leans into acknowledgement to ask questions, what should I do? And then it has to be action-oriented with what he says. And this is what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to my heart. Not an audible voice. You know, there wasn't like a magic finger that wrote in the steam on the shower wall. This is what I'm supposed to do. Just to set a prompting and from the inside. Hey, I want you to text your friend what you did and just confess it to him. To which I immediately said, I am not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. It's so weird. Why would I do that? It was a show. It wasn't even like, it wasn't even bad in the sense of how we would think. It wasn't like a bunch of nudity and sex scenes. Like it was just some spiritual stuff. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I was like, all right. So I lived for another day or two with just this, this aching in my chest of that thing having kind of, if I could say it this way, the residue of that moment of what I had done, the disobedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So finally got to the point where I was like, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Text out my phone, smartphone at this point, so it's not a green text message. I send this long text to my buddy. Hey, this is going to sound really weird, but I just want to let you know. And I give him kind of the whole layout of what happened and what I did. And, the, and I just feel like I need to confess this to you. And I realized in that moment, back in the shower, when the Holy Spirit was asking me to do that, it was in relation to the end of the book of James, where it says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And so I sent this long text to him. And I'll never forget, he responds back with these simple words. Hey, thank you, brother. You are forgiven. Go in peace. And the moment that I read it, whatever that was, just melted away. It was gone. It's like I could take another deep breath again. That feeling was there. Now, do I think that guy, my friend, forgave me? No, God did that. But I think it was an acknowledgement and an action-oriented life and obedience to life with the Spirit to do some things that brought a result that I might not otherwise have been able to give. We had uh, one of our kids was going through a really difficult season with some things in their life. And as a parent, if you're a parent, nothing crushes you more than seeing your kids deal with some stuff. And so me and my wife both just went into this real season of prayer. Individually, we were praying for it. We prayed about it together. What do we do? What are we, what are we supposed to do? God, what are we supposed to do? And all of a sudden, one day, I felt like the Holy Spirit, again, not an audible voice, the sense, life with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are we supposed to do in this situation? How does heaven invade earth in this? We need you here. We need an answer. And so I felt this sense from the Holy Spirit, said, hey, go home, nobody's there. And when you get home, your wife and the kids are out, you're going to go in your daughter's room. Now, I grew up a charismatic Pentecostal, so, so when I talked about all the wild stuff, dude, I was in churches. We did, we did some wild stuff where you're like, I'm so glad my friends weren't here today for this. But it was just moment of one of the things, and there's so many good things, honestly, that I learned and, and kind of grabbed a hold of back then growing up in that, was there was this element that, um, that I don't do it often, um, but it, it would take anointing oil. And you use oil and you pray for somebody. You kind of get it from the idea of scripture. It's kind of this point of contact. And there's all these things about oil and the Holy Spirit and the anointing that we don't have time to get into. But this is what I felt like the Holy Spirit said. Go in your daughter's room. I want you to take some oil. And that's when you start praying over everything. And so when you're a parent, you're at a place of desperation. You need to see God move. You better be action-oriented with the Spirit. 
And so I went home. We don't have any special anointing oil. I went and got like the 100% organic olive oil for my, you know, my wife's Italian, so it's always there. So I grabbed that. I slathered that stuff on my hands. I was like, let's go to work, baby. Went in my, went in my daughter's room, and I mean, I started praying over everything and fervent prayer, warfare prayer, praying in the spirit, just going left, right, declaring freedom and life and deliverance and binding and loosing and saying all sorts, all sorts of stuff. And I'm having this moment of prayer. God, I need you to move in my kid's life. And then the second thing that he had told me to do was you need to go to your wife and tell her about that thing I told you to stop wasting your time on and just say, I need to confess this to you. And I was like, this is a recurring theme in my life I don't like. I don't want to, I don't want to say that to you. That's, I don't even know how to bring that up. And he's like, well, you probably should do it. But I want to, I want to live life with the Spirit, not in spite of the Spirit. So the next day comes. Hey, Steph, we're in the kitchen. I just got, uh, this is going to sound real weird. I got to tell you this. I've been wasting my time on this thing. I really felt convicted by the Lord to not do it. It was a waste of time. I shouldn't do it. I asked God for forgiveness, but he wants me to tell you. So I'm telling you. And my wife, I love her so much. She goes, oh, sounds like you probably shouldn't do that anymore, huh? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And I did the, 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 the oil prayer because I felt that's what the Holy Spirit said to do. I did the, the, it wasn't even confession. It was just like, I guess confession, tell my wife. And the next day, the thing in my kid's life began to change. I can't tell you all the dynamics and the whys and the ins and the outs. All I know is life with the Spirit, leading of the Spirit to being action-oriented produced a certain result. 